Welcome to the show. In this one, I talked to Jeff and Marcy Larson of Alaskan Brewing. Jeff and Marcy opened the brewery in 1986. Back then, Jeff says that craft beer was a novel idea. Only a fraction of beers that were consumed were craft beers. He says that, altogether, there were probably only a hundred breweries in the entire country. So there was a lot of education involved in those early days learning about the craft of brewing, and also teaching it to others. But before they could focus on the beer, they needed to raise money for the whole operation. Both of them come from families that have rocky relationships with alcohol. Both have lost family members because of it. So they knew their families wouldn't really like the idea of them starting a brewery. So they needed to find investors. 88 small investors became integral to the startup of Alaskan Brewing. Of those original investors, around 63 are still involved. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the Crude Magazine Patreon subscribers. If you already subscribe to the Crude Magazine Patreon, thank you. For those listeners who aren't, please consider subscribing at patreon.com slash crude magazine. That's patreon.com slash crude magazine and pick the subscription tier that works for you. I want to thank everyone subscribed at the Company Man tier. These are the people who have subscribed to the Crude Patreon for $50 or more. Trina Duber Seward Brewing Company The Grind Coffee Shop in Juneau Derek Adolph Sharon Liska Jake Liska Alaska Surf Adventure and Borderline Legacy Thank you to all the Patreon subscribers. Your money and your support make these conversations possible. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. That's buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. And if you have a chance to rate or review Crude Conversations on Apple Podcasts, please do. Also, you can now get crude apparel and merchandise at TeePublic. From t-shirts to hoodies to stickers, baby onesies and more. Just go to the crude Instagram and click the link in the bio. Okay, back to Jeff and Marcy Larson. From the beginning, they wanted their beer to represent Alaska. To be something Alaskans were proud of and that accurately represented the state to the rest of the beer drinking world. Many times, they've gotten ideas for graphics and for brewing from their time in nature and from being around other Alaskans. For example, they have a cabin in Gustavus where they go to relax. And with help from residents of the town, it's also where they harvest the spruce tips they use in their beer. Jeff and Marcy are adamant about how lucky they are and about how much help they've had along the way. Marcy says that the fishing fleet in Juneau was largely responsible for introducing their beer to people outside of Alaska, because when they were done commercial fishing for the season, they would spend their winters in cities like Seattle. They'd pack up all the Alaskan beer they could fit onto their boats, head south, and then share it with their friends and families. To this day, it's still surprising for Jeff and Marcy to see one of their beers outside of Alaska in the hands of someone they don't know. 
So here they are, Jeff and Marcy Larson. <laughs> this red light right here, it means we're recording. Okay, fired up. Crude conversations. Listen more than you talk. Go to work. So Marcy, you just said you guys are better when you've had a beer. <laughs> I just mean I just meant that uh, you were talking about uh, conversations and and relaxed conversations as we were discussing here and. Yeah, it seems like great conversations happen over a beer. Just, it's just the way it rolls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like social lubricant. Yeah. Well, did you, you, you do know that the uh, British, during the colonial days, they limited bar hours because they thought that taverns were the seat of insurrection. Really? Yeah, and truly. And it's interesting because uh, uh, one, one of the references that specifically talked about that said... Uh, one tavern owner, um, one ta- tavern owner's son was Nathan Hale. Okay. <laughs> give me liberty or give me death. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, no, but, you know, we, <laughs> we, we, we do like what we do, um, and we enjoy what we make. And uh, it's kind of a, an interesting thing. I think everybody believes that, that that's an enviable, enviable uh, job. But there's a lot, of, a lot of hard work in, involved. But before we get off the topic of having a conversation and a beer, <laughs> I do want to I do want to sh- just just say that I've seen a lot of positives come out of that too, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. where there's been opposing groups that uh, don't share a lot of the same vision. But it, once they've had a beer, they tend to talk more, and then you can get to where they can might agree on a few things. There might be some commonality. Yeah. So, one thing that we got to see early on mm-hmm. in our, our brewing experience uh, when we first started the brewery, uh, back then uh, there was big uh, conflict between uh, the pulp mills and the environmentalist groups down here in southeast Alaska over a lot of the old growth forest and stuff. And uh, we walked into the Alaskan bar and we saw the two opposing attorneys, on one from each side, sitting down at a table discussing and they were discussing you know strongly but they were discussing at least yeah and and the cool thing was they both had an alaskan beer oh that's great that is cool that is what we want to see happen (laughs) (laughs) and i wonder how often do you both see that you know where people are kind of butting heads but then you know, they sit down, they have a beer, and maybe they don't see eye to eye, but at least they're engaged in civil conversation. I have to say, I wish we saw that a lot more, more. today. Mm-hmm. Boy, it sure has gotten so so steamy in that regards. But um, but I really do think, you know, breaking bread and and and, <laughs> and then having having a beer, um, you know, is really part of that the human experience of of sharing and. Uh, Understanding what the other other side thinks is important to find some some sort of compromise. Yeah. Um, the native population here talks about some of the uh, some of the uh, stories of of living in another animal's skin. It's really about you know walking in another man's shoes. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's cross culturally uh, important. Um, subject and, and topic that I think everybody shares, but maybe in different terminology. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. And beer, you know, beer is, uh, is also very approachable and very mellow. I think the, the mm -hmm. home brewing mantra by Charlie Papazian, who was the, the real founder of the Brewers Association, a lot of the craft brewing movement is his, his slogan was relax, kick back, have a homebrew. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's how he founded things. And, and he was, he was very relaxed and, and he enjoyed producing very fine beverages and sitting back, relaxing and enjoying the beverage that they made. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we spoke a little bit the other day and you, you both, Marcy and Jeff said that to kind of kick back and relax, you both go to your cabin in Gustavus. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. We don't go as often as we, we should exactly. or want, right. <laughs> but it is, uh, it is a, uh, uh, a definite change in pace. Um, there's a lot more of the mechanics of, of living, i.e. You know, making sure you have the water flowing, you got the wood chopped, you, you have the wood stove going. Yeah, and you, you do the, the, the circle walk around the, the property and the dogs are all with you, so mm -hmm. everybody knows. And, and every morning you're checking whether there's wolf tracks or bear yeah, tracks or we, moose tracks out there and what you need to watch And we're out being for. mindful of the moose <laughs> and the time of year dictates how how touchy the moose are and yeah and uh, but um there's a little bit more mindfulness of your surroundings and maybe it's a little bit uh out of the n normal urban routine that we have and in that way you kind of look at life and look at your surroundings freshly mm -hmm. it's kind of neat it's uh it's just a great place to unwind. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the, the outdoor experience that people have, regardless of a hike that you've done a number of times. But those new hikes are the ones which really kind of open your, open your uh, uh, mind to looking mm -hmm. because you don't know what is there. You, you crest a, a little ridge and all of a sudden there's a, you know, a, a different and new view that keeps you fresh. Yeah. Yeah, and Jeff, you said this great thing the other day about, you know, how you take the dogs for a walk and <laughs> you're watching their their tails wag and you're just in the moment. Yeah, the the body language of a dog is something that we've kind of you, you, we we read um for a variety of reasons, but it's amazing. Um they they express themselves very much, you know, uh with with the position of their ears or, or their tail wagging, um, uh, and it's it's interesting. We we we've had a, the for, great fortune to have dogs that um, uh, have done things like uh, block our trail because the moose is in in front of us and we can't see the moose, but they can see the moose. Well, they yeah. can smell the moose. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they they knew and they know that we we are real careful around moose, and they read that in our body language. But they express it. And, yeah, you're right. Um, the dogs are so obviously enjoying the moment, and they express it, and you can see it. And that really kind of brings a smile to your own face, bringing you into their moment of, of, uh, of engagement and appreciation. Out of all the places in Alaska 
Why Gustavus? Well, it was actually the first place that, that we came to. Um, I had gotten a summer job at Glacier Bay National Park and uh, was working there for the summer. And I'd already met Jeff the summer before, and we'd had a great summer romance. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> we were still still in communication and still talking. And I was I was I was Jeff. This place is really amazing. You have to come here um, and check this out because we both like the outdoors. We both like hiking. We both like um, being in spectacular scenery. It just it just really helps put perspective into place. And and, just, and Glacier Bay was just a whole new uh, experience level that that just was very hard to convey. So I talked him into coming up and visiting and and he saw what I was seeing. It's such a dynamic place with the ice retreating and the land rebounding and the wildlife ebb and flow. And there's just so many things going on there. And you have the ocean and you have the Fairweather mountain range of 15,000, 18,000 foot peaks for the St. Elias there. It's just, it's an incredible, incredible area. And so um, got him to come visit. Uh, and so that kind of kept us in the same past and the summer romance blossomed even more. And mm-hmm. one thing led to another and we ended up spending a winter in Gustavus where there's not really much work involved. There was a community of 90 people. So there wasn't a lot of job opportunity, but it was a wonderful winter experience. And it, it's, we didn't stay there we ended up moving into Juneau because there was work opportunity in Juneau, but it always stuck in our mind and we made a lot of friends out there and uh-huh. just kept going back and forth and it never gets old. It's a place you can always go to and it's ever changing and ever spectacular. You know, and the other thing I think that, that uh, um, Gustavus did for us, it, it for me, I was kind of from the East Coast, which is a little bit of a high-strung, um, very... Uh, maybe a little bit more edgy area, mm-hmm. um, but it, but the place kind of settles you down in in that context. But I I've said this so many times. It's you know for the first I would say five years of living in this absolutely gorgeous, dynamic, uh, natural wonder of Alaska. Um, I started realizing that a lot of what what makes this place so special is the people, mm-hmm. and I'd have to say that maybe it's that shared that shared appreciation, because I've said it too many times. It we are given every opportunity, every opportunity to leave. Generally, we're traveling through Seattle. We're going other places. There is you know there's a, a high degree of mobility, and we come back, and so really I do think people tend to choose to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I would say really after five years, really what made me most appreciative of Alaska is the people. And I don't mean to diminish on, on the place because the place really is what what maybe lets those people blossom and bond. Uh, I think we all have uh, an amazing number of very close friends and associates. And I, I go back to visit some of my old friends in on the east coast and they kind of lament that they don't they don't get that bonding as readily as as what i've experienced 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so that community of Gustavus was really tight, tight knit, but not necessarily did everyone get along. Okay. There was quite a spectrum of, of viewpoints. Uh, but when people would have a potluck, everyone everyone would show up. Even the people that didn't necessarily like each other, <laughs> they might be on different ends of the cabin. Yeah. But anybody who didn't show up, somebody would stop by to see if they were okay. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and yeah, therein lies the community side of what we've got. And I think it's it, it stems from the land. And when you guys go out there, what do you do? Do you fish? Do you hunt? <laughs> well, uh, mainly we go to relax, I have to say. I mean, that's what we, has such limited time. So just to go out and just uh, get back in the moment, experience the beauty out there. The first thing we do, actually, there's ferry service there now, which is which is helpful for getting back and forth and carting our two dogs out. Um, so the first thing we do when we drive off is stop at the, the ginormous beach that's out there that is right on the ocean looking up at the Fairweathers. And if it's a nice day, it is amazing. And mm-hmm. it's wonderful just to take the dogs out right then and just walk around in that big area and breathe the fresh air and relax and let all those, all those uh, uh, urban pressures go. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and then and then head on over to the cabin and kick back on the the deck. We have a deck that's as big as the cabin is, and it's just a great place to just hang and and like Jeff said, uh, um, be part of the moment. Mm-hmm. Well, and then there's the mechanics of, you know, here I'm a geek, so I, I check the water <laughs> system and I check the solar solar array and okay. and make sure the batteries are up to snuff and. And then I walk around, make sure that I, there's no repair repairs or the like that I gotta do. Check the gutters, check uh, check the uh, the driveway. Uh, there's a is there a pothole I have to fill? Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, <laughs> and there's the the wood stove. We have to make sure that we got the wood all <laughs> rotated and moving through and cutting, keep cutting new wood to be able to restock the wood stove. Mm-hmm. So. There's plenty of work to do, and then depending on the season, um, we don't get a, a huge chance to hunt too much because it's a little bit more limited of a season, but berry picking too. There's mm-hmm. always berries to pick of some form or fashion. It's really great. Yeah. And then the socialization starts <laughs> because, boy, oh, boy. Yeah, we get about, yeah, about no, half a day, and then they're like, everybody's like. Then, hey, we, have, then we have a calendar <laughs> filling up with. Gotta see so and so. Gotta go on a hike here. Who's <laughs> having dinner where? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cross country ski. Uh, Gustavus is fairly flat too. That's one thing many people probably don't necessarily understand uh, in regards to uh, um, the southeast, which is obviously very mountainous, right next to the ocean. But um, it's kind of the the terminus of, of of a fairly large glacial advance that happened in the 1500s, and uh, so that flat land allows for great cross-country skiing, just great moseying on the beach. You know, the beach, you know, you check out the critter, critter tracks. And mm-hmm. and we're fairly close to the out, outer coast. Uh, Icy Straits was named because of the, you know, the glacial activity back uh, a couple hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, you, you know, it doesn't take that much effort to get out to the actual gulf. Um, but we're, we're still in the inside waters, so... Uh, that being said, it's not like the waters are all that calm. <laughs> There's times when it gets pretty violent out there, but still, even that's just absolute rush to be out in in the 
and the throes of the waves crashing down. And of course, <laughs> the pups love it, so we love it. Yeah. Isn't there a story about how you began including spruce in your beer and it started out there? Actually, yeah, the inspiration actually uh, came from out there. Uh, the uh, it, it actually, the idea came from Captain Cook, okay. who was an early day explorer. And But uh, I think we first got turned on to that by um, yes, Gustavus in the um, oh, Sally Lesh. Mm-hmm was talking about it and and we it happened to be when spruce tips were blossoming and we and people were collecting them for jam and stuff and then that recipe came up for making beer the reference to that and in captain cook's yeah. journals captain cook was of course looking for the northwest passage mm-hmm. and on his voyage of 1778 um, um he you know had many references showing the the, the spruce trees in his uh, 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 journal log where his whatever onboard artist would would depict the native peoples but you could see the spruce trees in the background being shown hmm, okay but he had 14 references in his journals dealing with uh, making beer on board with spruce and uh, we've done some analysis and essentially spruce does have vitamin C uh, spruce tips it also has a lot of the same oils and, and botanical components that are found in hops. And so, uh, you know, beer on board was actually a, a, health, a healthy addition to the diet. Captain Cook was known for his uh, crew being so healthy because he, he did do a lot of foraging and, and gathering. Mm-hmm. And I think that whole, that whole uh, element of foraging is something that I've always loved. I, I love the, the mushroom picking and the, the berry picking and the harvesting from the ocean, the shore, and hunting. Um, mm-hmm. So I think in many ways, um, it just seems so natural to be looking at putting a, a little bit of Alaska in, in the beers that we made. And yeah. The spruce actually adds a really interesting character. Um, in the homebrewing world, um, a lot of people would get spruce essence, and they'd use that in beer. But that actually has more of a turpentine character, um, mm. pine saw-like, not very pleasant. <laughs> um, really, truly. Um, Whereas the spruce tips themselves um, have, are, have none of that character. No, it's it's, it's really berry-like. It has a little bit of a mm-hmm. of a fruity-like uh, character to it, and um, so it, it really it was just a fun a fun ability to sit there and maybe broaden people's horizons to one history of history of beer, mm-hmm. but also uh, just a, it was a different flavor nuance that we could share in a different format. So it was kind of a little bit of an exploration and expression of of what beer can be like. And of course, it brought our home into the bottle. And it, it was a, it was also a combination, I would say, too, of, of running into this idea of brewing with spruce, but also reading about it Mm-hmm. In that, in the logbooks where the crew referenced mm. that they really liked this one particular batch, right, and that was when they had used the spruce tips, the new the, growth, the new growth, instead of throwing branches of spruce in. Yeah, they had other references where they actually used entire <laughs> boughs of the tree, and they're in. That, that was might the, have been the that, turpentine. That was the t- turpentine. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. In fact, I think Captain Cook said he had some really harsh words for his quote unquote mutinous crew refusing to drink the hard labors of our brewery. Anyway, but um, but then he talked about the refined 
character of the beers being made with the, the new growth. And therein lies, and basically, that's what we were talking spruce, about, yeah. spruce, spruce tips. tips. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we, we've uh, worked with the, the community, and, and uh, uh, I think it's really rewarding to see the excitement people have. And families will go out as a kind of family unit and uh, pick tips, and, and mm-hmm. then uh, we, we you know, pay based upon uh, you know, the botanical equivalent of hops. And uh, that's how we started it, and then it kind of grew from there. So we've put out a number number of beers with spruce in them. We had a spruce IPA. Of course, our winter ale mm-hmm. we'll put out um, frequently. I mean, every other winter or so. Um, and then we've had uh, uh, use of spruce in our seltzers. Um, and uh, yeah, and we're releasing. In fact, we're releasing a uh, ready to drink cocktail with uh, spruce tonic water. Yeah. So it's a, a gin and gin and tonic and the. Sp- the tonic water is made with spruce tips, and uh, it's fun. It's real fun. It's it's really fun also to explore and and and, and have uh, a feeling of of uh, of uh, experimentation, uh, but that's also you know involving manufacturing and mm-hmm. uh, putting a product together for the public. Uh, it's it's kind of one of those creative releases. What we do in in many ways. Uh, People maybe don't think of manufacturing as creation, but it is. It absolutely is the creative, artistic character of of, uh, of what our staff does is uh, part of the reward of what we what we kind of have as a I think a point of pride in what we do. Mm-hmm. You know, something that I was thinking as you were describing, you know, reading through Captain Cook's journals is how often. Are you reading maybe historical diaries or historical literature about Alaska and you stumble upon, you know, a beer recipe or are you just a history buff? Oh, Uh, yeah, I I think we appreciate history. Um, I've always enjoyed imagining what things were like before we were here. Um, and then also reading about it where it's, when it's actually documented, that's really mm-hmm. pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I think it's an appreciation. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, we're not a history buff. Okay. We have, we have um, had the um, honor and extraordinarily uh, unique, um, uh, I don't know how you, how you describe, the humbling experience when you truly do meet somebody who knows history. Mm-hmm. And when you, you meet somebody who truly knows history, boy, are they modest. Because, you know, today's interpretation of what was happening 100 years ago is filtered horribly mm. with, you know, our perceptions. But I tell you, you walking around Juneau and, and, and seeing some of the, the, the you know, the, well, the petroglyphs on the, on the shores to some of the old remnants of the mines. You, you see what others have done, and you you can imagine maybe their their point of reference. Mm-hmm. But you're also you're just humbled by it too. It's it's wild to to realize. You know, I have my I got my Patagonia, Capelin. Uh, I've got my high tech <laughs> materials, and you know, I yeah. I complain about the cold when I don't have that extra layer I wish I had. Well, what a wimp. <laughs> <laughs> they were walking around in leather and wool. Oh, beautiful. my God. 
<laughs> no. Um, so that's another p- part of, 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 I think, uh, of uh, our, our appreciation is this place humbles you. Yeah. And the other thing, too, I think, uh, I think, I don't know that everybody knows this, but uh, our first beer was accidentally, actually, uh, founded on Alaskan amber, which, well, accidentally was <laughs> discovered in the state library. Oh, okay. The historical library. So that wasn't an intentional thing. It just happened. So, uh, but we also were, it was the history buffs that also gave us articles that. of mm-hmm. of the the uh, at that time brewer of uh, the Douglas City Brewing Company and mm-hmm. and what he described as his challenges in in brewing in Alaska at the turn of the century gave some guidance to me in how um, you know it was difficult to keep things warm and in that process of fermentation temperatures is is extraordinarily impactful on, on how the product comes across mm-hmm. also the uh, some of those history buffs were actually just collectors mm-hmm. and they had they would they would uh, reach out oh guess what i found i found a whole bunch of the uh, invoices from the douglas city brewing company and they they lent them lent them to us and here they have uh invoices for the types of malt they purchased and the quantities and then the hops referenced in their advertisements so it was a, a an interesting kind of multi-dimensional reconstruction of what was being brewed at the turn of the century that basically is alaskan amber and what did the brewery scene look like in alaska when you two first got there it was the, a desert <laughs> the brewery scene was was empty <laughs> there was nobody else brewing at all and that's actually kind of how the idea got started is because Jeff was home brewing and uh, a friend of ours uh, just as a joke said well and, and we and we were also looking at what what exactly we wanted to do for jobs mm-hmm. um, I had started working for the Department of Revenue and uh, Jeff had been working in a in a gold mining company and uh, the gold mining company didn't make it so it was kind of like at a Mm-hmm. a stasis there and somebody said well why don't you start a brewery yeah and, and, I, and I might have misspoke because there was a brewery called Prinsbrow that had just gone. yeah, it, yeah. It, it had closed its doors it stopped paying its federal licenses in the uh, two years before we started or before we got here um, but it was a it was a German entity that uh, basically had uh, you know a very um, German centric uh, point of view for example, they had a big contest on naming the beer that would reflect the true, true uh, backbone of the state of Alaska, hmm. and uh, and somehow they came up with Prinsbrow. <laughs> yeah, it seemed like kind of a miss. I, I, I don't know how much of a groundswell demanded that they call it Prinsbrow, <laughs> yeah. but it sounded good. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So anyway, it was kind of interesting. Um, but I would say also that their approach to making beer was the same as every other domestic um, producer, beer. which was mm-hmm. this, you know, straw-colored product with maybe a, a subtle difference in character. Whereas we kind of knew that what we wanted was something that had a, you know, a robust change in in uh, flavor. flavor, yeah, and one that would express and be satisfying in in, in a context. That really was reflected in the in the recipes 
development that came out of all that information we got from the uh, historical library, from the collector's uh, invoicing, from the interviews of the brewmaster. And really what people did back then, they got off the mine shift, 10-hour shifts, six days a week, only two holidays a year, 4th of July and Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, when they got off work, they wanted a beer with substance. They wanted something that was really something that would satisfy them in many dimensions, one of which was food value. I wonder what those early days looked like when, you know, Jeff, you're, you're home brewing and your friend tells you both that, Hey, you guys should start a brewing company. Like what, what was that like that transition from being a home brewer to, all right, we're going to get this beer out to the public. And that was a journey, actually. It took a number of years yeah. um, to do that, for sure. Because, uh, well, there's a lot of things we had to learn and didn't just jump right into it. Um, so uh, raising money was one. Because <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, uh, we didn't have the money to start one. Um, I mean, we were just new yeah. to Alaska and <laughs> just starting. Start, I had a little bit of a nest egg, but and there not weren't, enough for a brewery. Yeah, and, and there, there weren't were, very many breweries around. There weren't many... Little tiny breweries starting up. I mean, okay. when we started, yeah. we're talking there's you know 100 breweries in the entire country. And now, I think there's 100 breweries in San Diego. <laughs> you know, and I so think, there's yeah. a lot of manufacturers and Alaska that make has, equipment. Has about we have 35, about 50. No, 50. We have about 50 up here in Alaska, which is great. So, yeah. so, so you know, it's, it was but, a novel concept, but I would have to say it, it was even before raising money. It was just learning. Learning about brewing all the various, you know, more uh, challenging attributes that you don't think about, about when you're when you're home brewing, mm-hmm. um, and just getting out and meeting the industry folks, yeah. I think, was inspirational as well because right. just about um, every one of them, when Jeff would meet them, because he was the one that was traveling to these um, trade shows and and mm-hmm. different things, they would and he would tell them what his idea was um, to start a brewing Alaska. They would all just be. Well, that sounds good, but whatever you do, make sure you make good beer. Because if you don't, yeah. it reflects on all of us. It reflects okay. on all small producers. Yeah. So, yeah, I would stop by some of the smaller breweries, which were huge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But smaller breweries, like yeah. I said, they were huge, but not like the you know the majors at the time. Yeah. Uh, but that's really the, the, the sense of pride and the sense of, of uh, responsibility that they're projected. Both Marcy and I come from... I would say more teetotaling families than not. So the idea of making a living making beer really wasn't the greatest appeal. My my grandmother was definitely a teetotaler. Okay. Marcy's family was, was definitely, definitely a teetotaler. teetotaler. Yeah, no. And so meaning that no. they basically didn't encourage or think that drinking beer was drinking worthwhile. Drinking alcohol was yeah. a good idea. Right. Yeah. But um, but what really hit me was that sense of responsibility and if you're going to do this, do it right. Mm-hmm. That was really impactful. Um, and I would have to say that that, that really has been kind of one of our guiding, guiding principles. But also, I think, you know, it's um, there's an adage I also <laughs> have, and that is, in Alaska, I think people will... Be- will believe you until you prove them wrong. Hmm, okay. 
So so here we have two uh, two young people wanting to start a brewery, and and then we go to raising money, <laughs> yeah. which is you know that's crazy. What do you, what do you think thinking? <laughs> but you know we didn't get that negative feedback. We got people that would support us, maybe not financially, but emotionally, and they would they would say, yeah, why not? And you think about you think about people in Alaska and I would have to say that's kind of the attitude mm-hmm. why not yeah not like oh you can't do that oh no you can't do that and you know and the timing that we had when we were raising the money was not the best either yes yeah. during a downturn too so interest so we, rates were over yeah. 12 13 14 percent prime yeah. interest rate um, so yeah and there was a, a lot of, of you know foreclosures on homes people stopped making payments our our banker would tell stories of that period, and yeah, they'd come in and they'd count the number of keys people dropped off of their house because they couldn't afford the, the payments. Okay. So you know the thing is, is that I would I, I again go to the belief uh, that it could be done. Really, I, I guess in some ways we didn't know otherwise. Mm-hmm. We were we were encouraged not because of any Pollyanna type of approach. It was just yeah. Why not? Yeah. Um, and those that invested, there was a number of folks that expressed that the reason they wanted they invested wasn't particularly that they loved beer or they wanted to consume the product. It was because they just wanted to see good economy come to the state. They mm-hmm. wanted to better better the economy of Alaska. And so it was kind of a, a nice, um, for us, it was, it was more of a community uh, mm-hmm. Endeavor. Uh, it wasn't. I think Jeff and I would have probably taken a lot more risks mm-hmm. um, if it had just been the Larson's Brewery. But it wasn't. Mm. It was. It was the the entire. We had, a, we had eighty eight investors. So when you have that many, um, and, and none of them were, none of them were large. All of them were small. Are any of those investors still involved with you guys? <laughs> Most all of them are. Yeah. yeah. Really. They have like sixty. Right, around 63 or so, so yeah. that are still with us. And, I mean, and some, some of them have passed away and, and left to their heirs and stuff, but but for the most part, most are still of, with of us. Of the original ones. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously yeah. some of the heirs that, that you know, left the, the stock to their kids, you know, so there's a little bit larger number, but, but and we also have, you know, part of our ownership is an ESOP, an employee stock ownership plan, which is basically owned by the employees. So our employees are all, all vested yeah, in well. in the ownership of the company, success or, or hard times. Um, and, um, but you know, I, I go back to, you know, the, the leap of faith that people took on two young people who'd never been in business on their own, who barely, barely uh, uh, were making it, you know, in, <laughs> yeah. in regards to, you know, we had a house, we had up to sometimes one, two, three. We rented four, a house. Four roommates. A house. We rented okay. a house. Yeah. But up but to four roommates to be able to afford, to f- the afford half the house. <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> yeah, but you know we, that's the way we lived for ten years in Alaska, yeah. and then then we moved on to a boat. One of our shareholders <laughs> offered to let us stay on the boat because he was oh, a commercial okay. fisherman and he didn't fish <laughs> he didn't in the, in the in winter. winter. So we were like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So I mean, it, you know, but again, yes. you, it's bootstrapping. But you know, it's yeah. it's one of those things. It's why not? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at look at the whole the whole state. You know, um, I don't care if it's uh, 
um, living off the land in um, Kaktovik or or uh, or uh, dredging on the shores of Nome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Wow. Give me a break. Now, of course, we live in Southeast, which is, I guess, technically called the banana belt by some people. But why not? It's it's wet. Okay. Why not? <laughs> I like that. You know, I, I think it's really interesting that both of your families had teetotalers in them. What was that like? Well, I think uh, some of that was because... Uh, both sides had lost relatives, close relatives, mm-hmm. to drunk driving accidents. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, that puts a real, real tough uh, turn on things. And it's something we've been, we were sensitive to right out of the get-go, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something we, we really have strived with our, with our, all of our crew is responsible consumption and, and really belief if you, if you make it, you need to be able to use it responsibly. And in some cases, that means you don't consume it. Mm-hmm. And we've had, we've had individuals work here that were reformed alcoholics. They knew it, they knew, and they quit. And they quit completely, but they still were able to work at the brewery, um, gave tours in the tasting room, and, and did awesome job. Mm-hmm. And, had, and we're actually on our, on our tasting panel, but they didn't taste, they just smelled. And their nose was really, was really good in, mm-hmm. in in its aspect, probably sharper because it didn't taste. They didn't taste taste the product. So, oh, yeah. I mean, uh, we've we've been open to how that works, and we understand there are issues with alcohol. So, to, to but, it is our responsibility. But the upbringing did create this this sense of um, maybe um, huh, I don't know. We're not we're well. Well, the other thing it did do is, is our parents did not invest in us at all. Correct. Okay. <laughs> there was no family money in this whatsoever. Yeah. It wouldn't be. And uh, so it was it was pretty shocking to them when we were able to raise the money and start mm-hmm. the brewery. Yeah. yeah. All from folks up here in Alaska. And I would have to say, uh, I was struggling for a word and I can't find a better word. You know, when, you, when, you, when you're raised in a family with that sort of uh, predisposed negative uh, feeling towards all beverages of, of with alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say there was a bit of uh, embarrassment when it comes comes to, or or se- real, just awkwardness when when people would talk about um, having a good time with beer you know, around the family and stuff and like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you know, it it took a while for us to really you know immerse ourselves in the fact that you know the individual is is responsible for their ac- actions and mm-hmm. and while. While we were doing the first beginnings of, of startup, um, I think that sensitivity was real important because we went to the health and social services group and said, okay, we're looking at starting a brewery. What can we do that won't fly in the face of what you're trying to do? Mm-hmm. And one of the people in the, in the office said, don't start. <laughs> <laughs> well, I said, let's just assume that's not going to be the case. We will start. What can we do? And another one in in the office, kind of like, was almost enlightened. He went, "Oh, somebody that wants to work with us." Okay, Great. I'll tell you what. If you ever do advertising or ever do anything, make sure you don't ever put anybody on your label or in your work that doesn't look over twenty-one. Mm, okay. Um, and and in supporting different causes, 
don't support causes that are focused on youth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that was really... It was tough for us because we love kids and we love right. families and that are, mm-hmm. we have a, a youthful group um, of, of staff. And we want to support the sports as, it, sports like ski team and stuff like that. Well, guess what? That We can't do that. It's only the only the adults. So yeah. that's been, been one of our mantras. But I would say that therein lies, I think, that's, that's the, the uh, again, being in a community, you have to be aware of all all. Of everyone, mm-hmm. and, and there's going to be that spectrum. You're not going to be able to satisfy everyone, but you can at least be empathetic. And there's an easy way of, of expressing that empathy in actions. Do you think your family's relationship with alcohol, both of you, Marcy and Jeff, has affected your personal relationship with alcohol? Possibly. Oh, I, mean, I would say there's uh, no, there's no it, question it did. It, it made, it, I, you know, it was my very close cousin that was killed in a drunk mm. driving, and and not my, her fault at all, and uh, yeah. My, so, my uncle. And his same uncle, thing. Same thing. I so mean, he was driving on the wrong side of a four lane highway. Yeah, it's mm. it definitely um, has made us very respectful. Mm-hmm. And and you know I think that's a. That's uh, that. That is what it is, and, and again, that's what drove us to to search out maybe the other side that had some real problems with alcohol, mm-hmm. to be able to understand what we can do that wouldn't necessarily violate violate what we thought was right, but we we wouldn't cross that line where all of a sudden we inadvertently done did something that they see as definitely wrong. Mm-hmm. Well. You have to you have to reach out and find out where that person's coming from. Mm-hmm. And the other the other flip side of that is too is that um, because my folks were were non did not drink alcohol in any way, I never got any education from them on how to how to consume it properly either. And I think sometimes that is a, a miss. Um, education in, is in, important. I mean, I look at you know there's there's when you're when you, you go to driving school to learn how to drive a car, mm-hmm. you know, you, you learn how to use a, a, a gun. And usually, usually you're taught by someone responsible and you go to... You never uh, point it at anybody. You always right. assume it's loaded. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff yeah. is yeah. is usually education-based. This is how you handle a knife. Where is the <laughs> alcohol education? I mean, it, yeah. that's the... And so that's the big thing that we try to mm-hmm. strive with uh, a number of our meetings and staff meetings and stuff is try to teach people what's in this and how do you right. judge it and how do you use it appropriately one of the things that we require all of our staff to take is, is a, yeah. a, a course that has to do with uh, alcohol management for servers okay so in the service trade when you're working at a, a bar or restaurant and you're going to be serving alcohol you in the state of Alaska and in most other places now you're required to take a very thorough um, um, class taps. in techniques in, of alcohol. Or something. And, yeah, yeah, and 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 that program is about teaching the server how the consumer may not understand what is happening mm. in regards to consumption. Okay, Do, you know, you can serve them water. You can suggest an appetizer. Those types of things are 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 techniques that help you as a server um, make your customer have a good time and a responsible time. Mm-hmm. Well, what we do when we require our, our staff to take it, because they're not required to work in a brewery and have that tra- type of training, 
But we see that type of training is a responsible a way to benefit. teach our staff what they're not taught in school and they're not taught as a young adult and when they turn 21 probably even before they are doing things that aren't very smart so it's it's yeah has has our upbringing affected us obviously it has um but i think in a positive way Again. But that, and that education, though, is, is huge. And so I, I highly recommend it. And like Jeff said, the only people at the brewery who are required to take it are the ones that are serving. But, uh, but we, we, we do have, our, at ours, in our brewery, we require everybody to take it. I wonder what those early conversations between you and your families were like, you know, surrounding starting Alaskan Brewing. Oh, okay. I don't think we had that many conversations <laughs> because, of course, we were living in Alaska. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. Um, and um, um, and they weren't investing. That they weren't investing. They clear pretty early. Both f- sides of the family were, like, totally relieved that the other side hadn't invested. <laughs> because, you know what? We're, Marcy and I are extraordinarily lucky people. Our parents loved us. Mm-hmm. We had a great upbringing very closely knit family and i'd have to say there was never really a a negative word towards what we were doing there might have been some obvious mentions of "Mm, too bad you couldn't do something else (laughs) (laughs) but um i would say that um it was um it was we still got support and you know what but our parents never visited us until the month we got married. <laughs> what was that like when they came to visit? Well, we were married finally. Okay. <laughs> I mean, what did they what did they think of Alaska? What did they think of Oh my god. Oh, they loved oh, it. Oh, they loved it. Oh my god. They, they underst- understood. Oh, they understood yeah. totally. Yeah. And we had been sending pictures and stuff too, but you know, really pictures don't do it justice, but So, yeah. But we were living together and that wasn't necessarily again part of their their um, preferred trajectory <laughs> to their 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 kids growing up, mm-hmm. um, but marriage le- legitimized their ability to come visit. Mm, okay. <laughs> so, so then we had no problem. We had them coming up almost every almost year. every year. And they work for us. They come help. Yeah, <laughs> they, spend, they would work on the line. Spend their Absolutely. vacation their week or two weeks, however, ten days. Usually they would come about ten days. Yeah, and, and they so, either work on the line or make a workbench for us or right. build something or or I even had his mom writing the the brewery checks. Um, paying, so I paying was signing them, but yeah, that helped. <laughs> yeah, I think that was scary for my mom. She was she was absolutely uh, aghast at how much money we had to spend. Yeah, for malt and bottles and stuff. Um, I think there in you know ended up um, a, a learning experience on 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 on, on our parents' side too. Mm-hmm. Um, this wasn't just a a you know, uh, a temporary spot. Yeah. No, it went, and we were very serious about um, what we did. Yeah, and I think that that impacted them. And both both sides of our family are extraordinarily hardworking, not having come from uh, anything of any sort of easy road. My parents grew up in the Dust Bowl in North Dakota during the Depression. Mm-hmm. Um, Marcy's Marcy's parents worked 
uh, every shift. Don worked every shift he could at the at the the can factory. Um, uh, her mom t taught. Was a teacher. So it yeah. was. It His was. Mom was a teacher. Yeah. yeah. So it was one of those things where they respected hard work, mm -hmm. and they saw that they had actually done a darn good job of instilling that work ethic in us. Mm -hmm. You know, when my dad and my uncle Jay first started Borderline, which was a snowboard and skateboard shop in the 90s and early 2000s, mm -hmm. my brothers Jake and Derek actually have um, a Borderline legacy in Juno right now. But my uncle Jay and my dad, you know, back in the 90s, they knew they needed to get Burton gear in order to be a real contender Hmm. in the Alaskan market. Mm -hmm. Was there a distribution deal that you guys had your eyes on that you felt would put you and your beer in a different league? Maybe put your beer in front of a lot of people. Not, we didn't, we didn't have that. We didn't have that uh, knowledge or, or understanding when we started, but about uh, when we started trying mm -hmm. to distribute and oh. sell our beer up north, we quickly got the understanding of <laughs> distribution and what the importance oh. of having a good partner is all about. Oh, I'll tell um, you, we, we, we have so many stories of how <laughs> stupid we were. We, oh, my God. I don't care if it was about loading a truck okay. or, you know, I didn't even know what a pallet jack was, which is a device that lifts up a pallet and moves it around. Yeah. So the way we loaded the trucks is we put the pallet on the end of the truck and then take take the forklift and push it in with the forks. Then put a pallet down and push the pallet of beer with a pallet with the that was being jack. pushed by the forklift. <laughs> and mm -hmm. then by the end, we were ramming the forklift to get that that beer all the way to the to, you know the front of the, the oh my god <laughs> i mean talk about dumb because we didn't have a deck high loading area so you couldn't and, okay. drive the forklift up onto the onto the our shippers thing, would so. sit there and help us they go oh 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 Wait. stop 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 there's a better way there's a better way i i remember uh we we would brew monday tuesday get ready for packaging on wednesday package on thursday and then make deliveries on Friday. Weekends, we'd get prepped for brewing, and then we start brewing again on Monday. Mm -hmm. I remember coming back from um, deliveries on a Friday, and Marcy was talking to a gentleman, because we were also you know, basically giving tours, mm -hmm. uh, to just walk in people. And there was no set brewery tour time, but we were you know, gonna, anybody who took the time and effort to come to this little backwater of Juneau to see the brewery, which at the time, we were definitely in the backwater. Uh, we were in a, in a uh, in, the end of mining area. Um, yeah. landfill area. <laughs> anyway, and so um, we were talking to this gentleman, and I just come back from deliveries, and we visited a little bit, and and uh, he says, well, you know, if you ever decide to come up and, and distribute your beer up in Anchorage. the northern part of the state, you know, in, in Anchorage, mm -hmm. just give me a call. I'd, I'd like to, you know, be able to see what, what I can do. And here was the beer buyer for the Car Godstein Group, Mm, which okay. is now Safeway. Yeah. And he gave us the card and he could see blank unaware we, we unaware didn't have any unawareness. Idea who he was. We, we didn't know what this was. <laughs> what does Who's yeah. cars Who's what is, what is Safeway? I mean that at that time it wasn't Safeway, but but basically here's a you know somebody who could buy a lot of beer and yeah. distribute 
a, a lot of places. And yeah, so we were, but you know what? Again, the, the, the openness and uh, the support we got from so many different people, undeservingly, goes back to my little, my little thing. They trust you until you prove to them otherwise. And that's really, the, the, I think, the Alaska spirit that, that we see. Young people, I, I think, really, truly... Have a chance. Have a chance. We definitely have a chance. On the East Coast, if you didn't... Grow literally, up that way? Yeah. Or... If you didn't have a pedigree, if you didn't have credentials, no one, no one would even give you the time of day. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, you know, like they say, if you live in New England and your forefathers didn't come off the Mayflower, you're a newcomer. Okay. <laughs> and as you go west, it becomes less and less that way. And here, here we were, barely able to afford rent, having an idea of starting a brewery, and people believed, believed in the concept and said, I think you can do it. What did that first beer order from Cars Godstein look like? <laughs> well, that was a couple years after we had started. Started, yeah. Okay. And, and they placed the order. Um, one van. One van, yep. One whole van. One whole van. And, and and had you guys made an order that large before? No. 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 We oh, didn't even know no. how to load a whole van. <laughs> oh, that's, no. what, that's where he's talking about. This was crazy stuff. Oh. Yeah. Uh, you, 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 you'd have to understand the trade that we're in. When we first went up, we, we were trying to self-distribute also. Mm -hmm. And um, we, we, you know, of course, the, 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 the sales in, in the liquor stores that, you know, Car Godstein have, you know, the, the oak and keg chain. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, those um, they cannot they don't they don't service the restaurants. So we would we would create orders and go up and try to sell to restaurants. We didn't know anything about the restaurant trade, nothing about the restaurant trade. Our first minimum orders were a hundred cases. For a little bar, a hundred cases is an order. That's not, that doesn't work. What those, what the on-premise, we call them on-premise, you know, accounts, like the bars and restaurants, they sat there and got a group of 10 of them to sit there and get one order. And then they would divide it up. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, it, they, were they, they were figuring it out yeah. for us. <laughs> so, but, but what, when you talk about the distribution, when we tied in with a, with a for real distributor, somebody yeah. that's a beer distributor for the state of Alaska, um, that really made the difference for us. And they've been super great partners ever since. Yeah. Yep. Earlier you you mentioned these first brewery tours. What did those look like? <laughs> well, where we started was pretty small. We, sm we started in half of a warehouse. So we had one half of a warehouse. And... Um, it was they had a little entrance way that was separated from uh, the, the entrance way was entry area there was a small very small entry area with glass windows mm -hmm. um, and a bar and a bathroom and you could see everything <laughs> and you could see everything through the glass from those glass windows so okay it worked perfectly to be able to set up a little small tasting room very small we're talking really tiny mm -hmm. and then we had our our brewing equipment we had our packaging and we had our fermentation uh tanks all, all behind the glass all behind the glass in each different areas and we put the bar 
a little little bar that we tap through the wall <laughs> into the, mm-hmm. so that we just attached a keg. Yeah. And and in those days, you were not allowed to charge for your product. You couldn't charge for tasting. So nobody could come in and pay for beers. However, we were allowed to give away beers. Mm-hmm. Um, so we samples. would so, we would do it. So we one would, customer at a time. 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 Educate them to what what the beer was about and talk to them about how it was made and and what what the differences were and what the taste was and and we were blessed with uh wonderful tour guides in the in the very very beginning people that that uh, appreciated what we were doing and were long-term alaskans that had retired from their regular job and decided they wanted to do something just a little different and this was definitely something a little different mm-hmm. and so they were entertainers and they would <laughs> And, and we had a crew that were a bunch of entertainers, too, I think, a little bit, too. Because when we were packaging on the packaging line, people would goof off and pretend like they got their, you know, their arms stuck in something. Or <laughs> Oh, my God, yeah. I wasn't really very happy about that. But anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, but they made it fun, and they made it interesting. And, you know, we are employing now kids who came through that tasting room yeah. back in the day. And appreciated what they were seeing because you couldn't see any manuf. There was no manufacturing entities at all that you could visually see. And there's something pretty fascinating about watching a watching a packaging line of bottles go dancing by and get labeled and get filled and and just watching the whole process is is kind of magic in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And we have a fellow in the warehouse that remembers remembers that and aspiring and then loving the fact that he's here now working in Mm -hmm. our warehouse yeah (laughs) wow i wonder if you know if if i'm a customer Mm -hmm. i'm in the tasting room you know all the way back then and i walk up and you both hand me an alaskan amber what would be you know the pitch that you would give me about the beer well start with the history of it um, basically, and we just uh, shared that with you as far as the historical gold gold rush, gold mining days. This mm-hmm. is back in the gold the gold rush. Uh, this is what the mining company employees were consuming back then. And then the ingredients, the ingredients that we used, and what mm-hmm. made it different. And also the other thing you have to remember back in those days, which was quite a while ago, uh, in the late 80s, 90s, um, that was considered the amber was considered a dark beer okay i mean most people drank golden beers mm-hmm. and, and so when they saw an amber beer they're thinking oh this is going to be heavy this is going to be dark and and our beer was not that way it was a very a refreshing the amber actually because it was uh, the way it was fermented and stuff mm-hmm. by the mining companies it was a, a longer term cold fermentation uh, of an ale yeast, it made a, a smoother, uh, lighter product than what the the color denoted. And and back then too, I mean, again, the exploration in, in flavor expressions for for beer was really at its infancy, um, and so really the influence of history on our first product, our Alaskan Amber, um, also came from the fact that the brewer back then, um, in 1907, he was getting his hops from what was at that time called the Austro-Hungarian Empire hmm. because that was before World War One, And and since World War One, World War Two, then when we started the Sass hops that were referenced back then as Bohemian hops, um, basically 
we were contracting behind the Iron Curtain. But think about that brewer at the turn of the century, or actually the turn of the prior century, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, getting his hops halfway across the world. Yeah. So he was using the hops just to balance the malt. Our amber is malt forward. It's not like the hop forward IPAs of today. But still, it has its, it has its place as far as that flavor component. It really is more of the, uh, the malt uh, expression. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the sauce hops that we're using is really just to balance that, that sweetness. Um, so in many ways, we would talk about that history. Uh, and, uh, and we only produced a few beers. I mean, it wasn't like we produced 20, mm -hmm. um, which is what we have on our tap line right now, which is mm -hmm. really hard. I mean, to give the story, uh, in my mind, it was a lot easier in those days because I could spend, <laughs> you know, I could spend time talking about the th three or four beers that we produced and yeah. and give the entire backstory of them. And I think that the customer and the, the person that was experiencing them really appreciated getting more of a connection that way. Mm -hmm. That That's something that, you know, I think things like our Icy Bay IPA and how that originated and being able to tell that story to them is, is, is just a wonderful thing. Yeah. Um, and how did that originate? <laughs> Actually at a beach cleanup. Okay. <laughs> we in Yakutat, Alaska, uh, a bunch of us went up and and uh, did a beach cleanup as a as just a, a way to support communities. We were supporting cleanups on the outer coast, and a number of our crew went up and and uh, they knew in advance that there was surfing to be had up there. So mm -hmm. <laughs> people were surfing in Yakutat, so they used the beach cleanup as a way to get up there to go help clean up the environment, do some fun surfing, have some big bonfires on the beach and enjoy. And it was our brewers and they took up um, some of our beer in kegs and they had made an IPA that they had taken up and, and they thought, wow, this really hits the spot here. Mm -hmm. and, and this makes really a lot of sense and we should call this beer Icy Bay IPA. <laughs> so, and it was, real perfect for around the campfire after a big cleanup day and some fun surfing yeah and so we were able to put a label on it that uh was mm -hmm. was uh a photograph that scott dickerson had taken when he was there surfing with uh, a number of folks that were adventurous surfers and uh put a bit of alaska right on the label it's great yeah and you know i think that's also kind of what we've also looked at you know we, we try to make like um, the beer in the bottle uh, representative maybe of some some part of Alaska not that everything has that connection like the amber uh, but also on the bottle I mean mm. even our amber that fishing boat on there it's a commercial you know power troller um, really came from a conversation we had which from one one of our original investors I was sitting there on the on a, on a, on a uh, float there I think in Elfin Cove and he talked about the fact that, you know, where else can I, I can go fishing for a living. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those bluebird days, beautiful. Yeah. Elfin Cove is on the outer coast. And uh, he just, you know, it was just, his, his, his comment really struck me because here he was doing something he loved in a place that was so majestic and, you know, living off the land, mm -hmm. both, you know, personally and, and financially. And so, so the boat really represented, you know, that kind of spirit. 
and just like the surfer on the break mm-hmm. that, that's that's the spirit of what we want to be expressed in the liquid form yeah and scott's photograph of the of the surfers with the big mountains right behind them. oh yeah st <laughs> elias and that's like Fairweather. wow that's that's alaska surfing yeah <laughs> You know what I'm finding that's really interesting about, you know, both of you is in these Alaskan experiences that you two have, you're also taking these mental notes. You know, how can we include this stuff within our brand? Yeah, I mean, that that, that is the, mm-hmm. what we've always kind of strived to do with the product is it, this is Alaska's beer. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, and we just had, um, we released a, a Pilsner. And, you know, on the label is a, is a, is a road trip. <laughs> okay. It basically, you've got, you've got a, a you know, four, four-wheel vehicle, four-wheel drive vehicle. Loaded with a kayak looking at, on top. Looking <laughs> at the dirt road in front of them and going, okay, right why not? Mountains. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and there's so much also. I mean, I mean, yeah. I don't. Yeah, I'm talking to somebody who obviously has the same sort of you know feeling. You know what it's like. It's, yeah, but it's the wildlife amazing. to the scenery to the the uh, amazing adventurous opportunities that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I you know we we partnered with uh, Jeremy Jones and his Splitboard as one of our promotional events to really again embrace embrace the again that that the, culture of lifestyle of splitting those boards and Getting skinning out. up <laughs> yeah and, and the free ride apa has a snowboarder on it oh yeah right right uh-huh <laughs> yep yeah mm-hmm. how did the free ride apa come about you know that one actually i think it actually started there was a big free ride competition going on up in haynes mm-hmm um, and, but we had heard about it before. I, I think people were talking about it. It hadn't come to Haines yet. It was still a couple of years before it was coming, but people were talking about it. And, um, and the pay, it's a pale ale. And we had, a, we had a pale ale that we really wanted to, to have embody Alaska. And we didn't have a snowboard, uh, uh, icon or any of that yet. Mm-hmm. And we knew that there were some great free riding to be had, Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how that was inspired. And it was just a lot of people were talking free riding at that point. Yeah. You know, that's the other thing too. And, and we haven't necessarily always had this, the same exact vision from the beginning, but one thing that was interesting, I would say in the first maybe half dozen labels we had, we always, you know, Alaska is so picturesque mm-hmm. and one thing that we really felt strongly about is that human connection. So whether it be that fishing boat or a border or a surfer or a surfer <laughs> or a whale or a whale or, or a, <laughs> yeah. we, I would say the whale was the beginning of a departure. Oh, okay. But we were trying to put people in all the labels. Okay. We had a cabin. You know, you wouldn't necessarily see the per- person, but there was a cabin in our old mill stout. But then we started doing other things, and the whale was one of them. And then we 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 even have the, the uh, polar bear. Yeah, mm-hmm. but we also have like uh, the uh, uh, the the jellyfish mm-hmm. the, 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 that's that's found here in the Arctic Ocean. Uh, 
to you know seals and and, and ravens and and uh, and one of our one of our uh, RTDs we call uh, muskox mule. Muskox mule. <laughs> okay. Because of course Moscow is no longer politically correct, and uh, so the Moscow mule we just said no, let's make it Alaska. Yeah. It's the muskox mule. Muskox mule. <laughs> yeah, that's but, great. You know, we, we 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 have fun. I mean that's yeah. that's that's the that's the reality of it. I mean, there's times when it's 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 hard work, but really, in life you have to have fun, mm-hmm. and people make it fun. Your customers make it fun. I'll tell you, when COVID finally kind of subsided and there was more ability to go out and have a beer and dinner and, and share experiences and get back helps. into the beer trade, oh, it was like, boy, did I miss this? I can't yeah. believe it's been this long. Mm-hmm. So. I feel like there aren't a lot of couples who can work together, you know, let alone want to work together. Why do you think you two originally wanted to work together? Uh, well, we met uh, in, in the summer, as a summer role. We were both working summer jobs in between college years when we met. And in those kind of summer jobs, usually you're working really hard, long hours, but there's lots of play. So it's work hard, play hard. But... You worked a lot of hours, and we, we just had that that uh, kind of mentality when we went to start thinking about what we were going to do for a living mm-hmm. and and how we were going to live together. And like I said, I was I was working for the Department of Revenue and actually putting in some longer hours there because some things were going on at the time that they needed extra help and you could make more money and Jeff was working for the gold mine and he was working really hard there and we just weren't seeing each other as much and and we both took and, we both took we both took work um seriously but also um personally mm-hmm. and uh, we 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 wanted to do good work but that meant and that we didn't to do it together didn't yeah. do, we didn't see as much of each other as, as we we, we could have and we thought that this would be a way of doing it. And, and actually, my dream was to, I, I moved up here. One of the reasons, one of the things I wanted to do was be a bush pilot. That's why, so I had my pilot's license and I had my stash of money that I was going to buy a plane and I was going to. Get your float plane rating. And, and Yeah, I was working on that. But I, but we realized and I realized that if I was a bush pilot, I wouldn't see him at all, <laughs> hardly. And so that wouldn't really be great in this and then with the brewery um we were I, I, he was she was going to be the corporate pilot yeah that okay. was my, but she was also the accountant so unfortunately i did the books and when you when you actually do the books you realize being in the corporate pilot really doesn't doesn't sense. work out mm. <laughs> you need the corporate plane and there is no corporate plane that will pay for itself in, in our business anyway in, in delivering beer yeah <laughs> but for a long time in all of our financial scenarios it'd be like the best case scenario the, the most reasonable case scenario and the worst case scenario and in all of them i would have at the bottom worst case scenario piper cub <laughs> best, <laughs> medium case scenario would be the the seaplane you know the float yeah. plane and then the best case scenario would be the corporate jet and everybody'd laugh, and that would be the first thing cut. <laughs> we all knew that didn't work. <laughs> what did that bush pilot dream look like? Oh, there were some amazing pilots up here oh, yeah. that we got to fly with a lot. I mean, when we were in Gustavus, going back and forth. 
um, all around southeast. There's float planes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Art Hayes and Gustavus and Yakutat, Mike, Mike, Mike Ivers up in Yakutat. There's just a bunch of great pilots, and we got to know them because we flew. Um, we we just learned how to. Well, we were going places or doing things or adventures. We, we volunteered for. We did a lot of volunteer work where they for the for park service travel. because yeah. a lot of the park service maybe weren't appreciated by the locals uh, sometimes, but but um, when they had to do backcountry work, the federal re- regulations didn't allow them to go alone, and we we had you know some contacts in the park service, so they would say, hey, if 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 you're willing to donate your time. We'll fly you in X Y Z spot, and feed you for a week, and then we'll pick you up. All you have to do is just get to Yakutat. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, we've we've seen some we amazing country. It was awesome. Amazing country. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say, um, um, so that's how we got to be, you know, able to fly with these bush pilots in really some pretty remote areas. And then areas. some were good friends that would just take us along yep. as, uh, just for fun, which yeah. was great. Because we were on, we were on, pretty we were, much bo- a budget. We were, we were <laughs> bootstrapping it. Yeah. Um, but I think once the brewery started, we really kind of, uh, it kind of, had to cut down on had to cut, that sort of stuff. A lot of stuff had to cut down yeah. on, on that. But, um, you know, I'd but say, that was my dream was to actually be able to have a, some kind of a plane for the brewery, and then, and then very naively I thought, oh yeah, and I could deliver deliver beer out to all these communities in my float plane. Well, that's expensive. Th- that doesn't work either. Yeah. So, <laughs> but since then I think we you know, we started paragliding, so we've done some paragliding over the, over the years. We're we're not very active at all now, now uh-uh. um, but, but we did so uh, that satisfied that crave for a while. Yeah. Okay. So hanging from hanging from some uh, some. Uh, Kevlar or Spectra <laughs> lines is kind of an interesting uh, way to yeah. to step out of the normal normalcy. Yeah. It helps you. It helps you when we were talking about being in the moment. Mm-hmm. Definitely, when you're flying, you are in the moment. Yep. <laughs> Do you still ever have that draw to fly, Marcy? Not commercially anymore. No, I'm 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 a bit beyond that. Where where it would take. Uh, a lot of attention and I, I never believed in being a part-time pilot. I always wanted to do it either full-time or not. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I leave the, I leave the flying to the good, the good folks. Now you just can't be rusty in this environment and, and, uh, have things go wrong. Mm-hmm. You have to be on your game pretty much completely. So I even pick who I fly with. <laughs> mm-hmm. You mean the bush pilots that you you fly with? You pick them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you do too, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I actually have never been on a a small flight like that. I think maybe the smallest flight I've ever been on is like a small Alaskan Air. Wow. Yeah. Oh, it's kind of a normal way of life around here in the Southeast because mm-hmm. there's so many small communities to get in and out of. So. Mm-hmm. You, you. Yeah, you learn a lot and. Uh, we, mm-hmm. And there's, there's just, you just really are more cognizant of it, but mm-hmm. I, I, I love it. It, you see an incredible amount of country and mm-hmm. terrain as you fly through various areas to visit different communities in Southeast Alaska, particularly because you can't drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, um, some of those, those, uh, activities really are also about, um, kind of breaking out of, out of your day-to-day mold. Mm-hmm. Um, so the paragliding was really obviously a departure from what we would be 
thinking about during 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 the day and 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 it's almost like a it's a little bit of a meditation mm-hmm. even though it doesn't sound like it's restful but it does break your 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 normal brain waves of you know work mm-hmm. or or you know getting to work or you know satisfying your social calendar when you're when you're flying literally sometimes in a thermal with eagles and the eagles are looking at you like oh you are a slow <laughs> slow slug in the sky <laughs> literally they, and you yeah. you anthropomorphize thinking that you know <laughs> it's pretty cool to be with you yeah you know, mr eagle or mrs eagle um but I'd say also it's that's also kind of the thing that we we find in uh, some of our work because we 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 do some work with uh, dogs for search and rescue, and when you're in that mode, you're also you're definitely in a different mode. So, communicating with the dog in that context is really interesting because you are totally in a different mindset and. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is. It's kind of like almost a meditation, not quite, because it's not like restful. Your your heightened awareness, but that heightened awareness is is a different, in a different thing, mm-hmm. a different kind of in the moment. Yeah. And then, when when you see an animal do something that is absolutely absolutely remarkable, it's just, it's humbling to realize there's so little we really do know. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that a little more? The the fact that you have rescue dogs. You know, I, I I actually read a while back that you two raise rescue dogs and that they help out with um, you know, when people get buried by avalanches. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, we're we're part of um, a search and rescue group here that uses dogs to find missing people basically that's what that's what it's set up to do and it's a local group called sea dogs and uh we we first uh got in touch with them or or came into contact with them when we were learning (laughs) when we were learning about avalanches in alaska avalanche safety and avalanche safety we took a course an avalanche course and level one and one of the one of the uh, people taking the course said, hey, I'm on the Sea Dogs team and we're looking for volunteers to get buried. <laughs> so, and we'll trade, we'll trade free lift tickets at the local ski resort. <laughs> if, if you come get buried, you can go ski for the rest of the day. Well, that, that fit our budget really well. So we signed up to do that and then we were hooked. We loved um, seeing what the dogs could do and experiencing it mm-hmm. the burying part was fascinating too mm-hmm. but uh, it made you realize you never want to get buried in an avalanche it is yeah wow pretty amazing but uh the the uh the learning experience of that was was that we loved seeing how the dogs worked what they did and made us resolved made us resolve uh that if we ever got a dog this would be something we would love to do was to give back, give back to the uh, community in that way. Mm-hmm. And so, about seventeen years ago, I guess it was. Yeah. Well, uh, no, it's probably about 19, twenty. Almost twenty now. Yeah. I guess we've been on the team a while. We finally, we finally were able to purchase a house and 
because it was our house, we were allowed to have animals in it. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so we were allowed to get a dog, and that's the first thing we did was was uh, grab a dog and and see if we could join the team. And the team was made up of a lot of experienced people, so those folks um, were able to help, help us. us train our dog mm -hmm. uh, to be able to participate, not just avalanches, but missing hikers, missing hunters. Um, so there's a set of disciplines that we, we can train for. Um, an avalanche uh, is one of them, disaster, um, scent-specific trailing. So if, if, a, if a person gets off the cruise ship here in town and they have maybe dementia mm -hmm. and they might, in, might be in a very, very highly pop or densely populated area, a tourist spot, but then wander off, we, we have a dog that can find that specific person even though there's lots of people out there. Yeah. But there's another discipline called wilderness where if a lost hunter on Admiralty Island um, basically is missing from the hunting party, we'll get helicoptered out and our dogs are sent into the field to find any human in the woods. Okay. And that's not scent discerning, but it's basically any lost person in the woods. Or any person. So. And then so in an avalanche, yeah. it doesn't matter who's buried. Yeah. Just if anybody Find anybody owns. buried. <laughs> so all humans sent. Yeah. So there's, they're kind of trained for specific things. And yeah. there's This team is a great, a great team and almost a family in a way now, because we've been with them so long. But uh, there's uh, nine, almost ten now dogs that are right. certified in all these disciplines. And uh, and there are other disciplines too. I mean, there's uh, drowning if somebody drowns. Water water recovery. There's recoveries mm -hmm. that that help yeah. with that and. Yep. And if there's any disasters with building collapses or anything like that, and you can't send people in, a lot of times you can send a dog in, and the dog can tell you if there's a human inside or not. Yeah. Right. And whether that human's alive. So that's good. Yeah. We're training, currently training a new puppy. That's This is our third one. Um, She's a little Maserati. <laughs> right now. <laughs> Definitely keeps us Oh, my God. <laughs> but, oh, talk about enthusiasm. And excitement, mm -hmm. and you know it's it's infectious, mm -hmm. cross species wise. It's infectious to watch this dog, yeah. And so it's interesting, you know. You, you, whenever, you know, we we train search and rescue dogs, but really what what we're training is search dogs. Mm -hmm. um, the CPR and blood stemming is is left to to the handler, mm -hmm. <laughs> but but really what we're looking for is the people, and so. So the if, dogs. They know, if they know where somebody is and they're hurt and they can't get down, that's left to the mountain rescue folks. It's our our job is we're called when they can't find the person or they don't have an or they they can't specifically find the person. A lot of times a cell phone will give you an idea, but it won't give you specificity. Uh, whereas the dog, we can take the dog in and it can, can yeah, usually. Uh, air sent right on to the person, and then yeah. that saves a lot of time when that's hap when that happens. Yeah. Do you have any rescue stories that that come to mind? Hmm. Oh, <laughs> well, you know, it, it's it's one of those things where we're we're very careful because we're called out by the troopers, and so when and, it's and all we, volunteer, we, it's all Every, volunteer. The, the whole team is made up of volunteers, so. So when, when we get called, we, ha we are called by the troopers because they cover our expenses um, when we're called, and they also cover our training. 
which is great. They don't mm-hmm. pay for our dogs. They don't pay. They don't pay for, you know, our time or any of that. But they do pay for the, for the actual, uh, training and then for the, uh, for the actual call out. And there's just been so many of them in so many different ways. Um, but I'd say the most impactful thing that 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 I I I would, would relate to this would be understanding better what our first responders go through. Mm-hmm. And technically, I guess we're you know we're part of that first responder group, but my goodness, the first responders that that are are on scene, whether it be the firefighters or or the police, um, there's a there's a side of our of our of our of our community that you know, luckily we don't see very often, mm-hmm. and understanding that it's there. I don't care if like during the COVID nineteen. Uh, period. There was a lot of, of a lot breakdown, breakdown yeah. of the social fabric of our communities, mm-hmm. where people weren't checking in on each other because they're not supposed to, and so if those people that were a little bit more strung out didn't get the sort of um, uh, touch and go support, um, and that was really, really enlightening to know during that period, during the the 2020 to 2022 period. We had so many, so many call-outs for people who were in, you know, a mental state that was was uh, of significant need, mm. and uh, that was really, wow, I just, that was mind-blowing. Uh, I'm I'm so lucky to have the friends I have, and the place where I am, and and the mental health that I have, mm-hmm. uh, and there are others that don't have that, and yeah. that's something that's really impactful. Uh, it's a reminder of, you know. When we wake up, you might have some stressful, a stressful night the night before with a, a, a very close friend of yours, and you wish you hadn't said what you said. Mm-hmm. But you know, <laughs> there's no bullets, bombs, or rockets flying through the air outside of our windows like there are in other places of the world. Yeah. Uh, I would say also uh, uh, meeting people who are uh, experts in the, the canine training world. Mm-hmm. Um, we had uh, one trainer come in. He His his specialty was was training dogs for imp- improvised explosive devices. And so... For detecting them. For detecting yeah. them. Okay. And so this IEDs in, in Afghanistan, Iraq. And he was training dogs to alert on these devices 100 feet to 100 yards away. Okay. And, and he talked about, we train so they do not ever make a mistake. Because if they do, people die. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it raised our standard of training thinking. Mm-hmm. Because uh, <laughs> I think Marcy, Mar- Marcy ended up uh, making a banner and putting it up in, in our, our, uh, our gear cache. And it says... You don't train until you get it right. You train until you don't get it wrong. Yeah, that's good. I, yeah. And 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 that is what the what what our team is kind of built on, and the amount of time and energy that it takes to do that is amazing. And we have a, a great group of about uh, seventeen people that all participate with these nine dogs that we're uh, working with, and every single person is a dedicated, dedicated volunteer. And it's pretty amazing to see people step up and, and put the time and effort in. 
and, and it's it's interesting too because um, what what we're, we're we're asked to do is is sometimes uh, take the limited resources that are available and maybe direct them towards a uh, a higher probability of detection area. Okay. And so if you have a limited number of ground pounders that, you know, are, are they're volunteering and they're, and they're going to look for the individual, the dog, dog could very well indicate uh, an area of, of higher probability. So therein lies the, the kind of responsibility that, that gets, you know, can time, can time my gut into the knots. Mm-hmm. You have to make a call. And so, you know, you, the wind is blowing that scent around. So, you know, you don't know exactly what the wind was doing at that location. So, so you're, you're also being very careful about not over, overstating what you can do because you are taking a limited resource and allocating it based upon, you know, your inferior ability to interpret the dog's, mm-hmm. uh, dog's indications. So... But um, it's amazing what the dogs can do. I mean, and we've been at it now for like almost 20 years, and we're still learning all the time. Yep. It's always a learning experience. We're and training. And every dog is different, yep. that's for sure. We're, we're training, <laughs> thinking about different scenarios. Um, yeah. Um, we just had one of our teammates um, um, uh, basically pass uh, the avalanche, uh, avalanche certification. Last uh, weekend, yeah. as a matter of fact. Yeah. yeah. He did very well, and yeah. it was great. It was great to and, see. Uh, yeah, and of course, like in an avalanche scenario, you often don't even know what 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 occurred. Um, I'll give you an example. Earlier this season, there was a, 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 a horrific uh, weather event. Uh, a huge amount of rain fell. We had a fairly large snowpack. They closed the the ski you know this our, our ski resort here in Juneau, Eagle Crest. Mm-hmm. You know, for for good reason. It was not safe conditions and. And they they wanted to be able to you know do the bombing and avalanche control work, uh, and there was an inbounds inbounds avalanche that was sizable. I think the I think the the crown of it was like six feet, five five and a half six feet, inbounds. Hmm. Now the resort was closed. That section of it was closed. Yeah. But it, so. but, but still, it happened. They had done everything perfectly right. They were totally legitimate in in saying, "Okay, this is this is a good goal." They were surprised at that avalanche. That was a pretty significant avalanche, but didn't know. Was somebody there or not? Was somebody there? Yeah. So, up we go. We had two. We had two dog teams up there, literally. In, in in fifteen like, minutes, I yeah. Think. yeah. But they found the avalanche. It had, it had been older, you know. It had it hadn't been seen, but it released. But they found the debris. Mm-hmm. So, but the the dogs went up. They did a reco search, and then they did a beacon search, and the dogs, just to make sure that nobody was there. That yeah. nobody was there. No. Yeah, and so then that's the the responsibility of the dog handler. Making what's your call, what's okay. your yeah What's your degree of of uh, confidence yeah is somebody there or is somebody not there because if they say somebody's there then you're bringing in resources that may very well have to uh maybe uh be traveling in the back country and of course the most important thing in search and rescue is do no Further harm, harm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so you you look out for the rescuers how much different 
do you two think that work is from the work that you do, you know, brewing beer? And, and, and I understand that one is, you know, search and rescue or search. And then the other is, is making, you know, this liquid that people drink. But as far as like the fundamentals of it, do you find any crossover? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There would be there would be teamwork communication um there there's a number of that though uh the stress <laughs> the stress is different mm -hmm. i mean one of our one of our brewery workers we all got pretty hypercritical about you know how our beers tasted and struggling really hard to to make this beer come out exactly right and this and that and the other and, and people get a little frustrated because you didn't do this and you didn't do that and you know, there's just a real tensity, and then someone finally said, "You know what? We're not saving lives. We're just brewing beer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, kick back, relax here, hold it. You know, what what is it we're talking about? Well, unfortunately, in the in the search world, we are saving lives. I mean, that is something where you don't want to get it wrong. Mm -hmm. And so, so it's it's it is uh, it's different in that way. Um, but as far as being part of a team, being part of a a group that's ultra dedicated i would say that we've got the same kind of ethic and corporate group uh dynamics happening at the brewery they work long hard hours mm -hmm. at times absolutely they step up to the plate when they need to yep um same thing happens on the dog team there's there there's a lot of crossover mm -hmm. yeah how much of your identity do you feel like is connected to beer and i wonder are you comfortable with that? Are you no. not comfortable with that? No. No. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, we're not comfortable with it. Okay. No, that's, I mean, we never really wanted to be the spokesperson for Alaskan Brewing Company. Okay. We really, it, it, our team works so hard that everyone has to be there. Um, and in, 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 oh, huh, one adage in Search and Rescue is there's no I team in spelling the word team yeah. <laughs> yeah because quite frankly without incident command without your 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 leader who's looking out for you the, the troopers people. that are out there uh the the the, the you know juno mountain rescue in our case is, is one of our you know the, the, that's a resource that we use uh um they're also a volunteer group um but you know it's it's all about the community and mm -hmm. and and giving back um the brewery did a lot. Uh, we had resources. Again, I hate to talk about COVID, but we had resources that you know the community didn't have in regards to uh, hand sanitizers and uh, um, uh, surface sanitizers. So we talked to our suppliers, brought in materials. We donated uh, hand sanitizer to the election commission, um, to I would say a dozen different first responder groups from Yakutat to to. Uh, Cake, I believe, or and, Petersburg. And Petersburg, Wrangle. yeah, Wrangle. Petersburg Wrangle. Mm -hmm. uh, we donated uh, um, sanitizers to the transit system to be able to wipe down buses. buses. Like I said, the, the election commission throughout the state. Um, you know, it was it was something we had as a resource that that you know it was easy to sit there and and uh, step in to other places. Yeah. yeah. If you weren't brewing, what do you think you two would be doing? 
I can tell you that right now. We talked okay. about it before. Or we'd be <laughs> yeah. sitting on our deck in Gustavus. Okay, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> no place like it. It's great. I have this image in my head that I've just completely manufactured, and I want to see how accurate it is. And it stems from this question, and that is, you know, do you remember the first time you saw someone drinking one of your beers outside of Alaska? I do. Yep. And it was shocking because <laughs> it was like, they're drinking Alaskan and I don't even know them. <laughs> and it, yeah it was in seattle because that's where we were first distributed and outside of alaska yeah yeah in seattle outside of alaska I right mean, up in alaska you know alaska is a small community mm -hmm. so but but when it was to some mm -hmm. some some perfect it's still it still amazes me airport, though. it was like wow really that's great. when people want to see people leaving a store with a mm -hmm. with this a, a six pack or a 12 pack of our beer i'm i'm still like wow that's great amazing mm -hmm. i know where that came from <laughs> <laughs> what about you jeff do you have maybe a specific memory of the first time you saw someone drinking an alaskan beer outside of alaska i have to admit my memory is uh, it was called the tex-mex cafe and I remember an older couple, and the wife ordered her husband an Alaskan Amber, and they both were drinking this beer, and it was it was funny because you know they were they were older, and and they were just talking. Oh boy, this is dark beer. This is really dark beer. <laughs> well, it tastes pretty good. <laughs> I, I, I was like, "Whoa, this is crazy!" Yeah, and this is not the you know this is not the demographic where we thought we were going to be appealing to. <laughs> uh, I, I would say, yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was. Uh, I, I'd, I'd say there's so many times when I, I see that that our beer is being consumed that that I'm like, "Wow, that's pretty cool." Mm -hmm. And the fishing fleet here was largely responsible oh. for the outside the. Alaska mm -hmm. because they would at the end of the summer season yep. and a lot of them would would winter down in Seattle and the non-resident fishermen that would yeah. go then pack up all the beer they could fit on their boat and to head, down. Take, head, head down south and then share it with their friends down the docks and that's kind of what got things going down there in the last like 10 to 12 years there have been quite a few local breweries that have popped up what do you two think of them that's great. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I just love the thriving, the thriving small brewery uh, group. It's it's grown from, it, it's it's been fun to watch grow, and it and it's 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 fun to see the different aspects and the different energy and the passion behind them. Um, and it, I think we're up to over forty, almost fifty fifty breweries now, I believe, and uh, I, I love it. When when we first started, I mean, the three beers out of a thousand were consumed that would would be classified as craft, and now it's 120 out of a thousand would be classified as, you know, depending on how you classify it. That there was an amazing amount of education that that had to take place for that that to occur, and that's what's happening now. People are being educated 
And I'd say the brewers that are doing a great job are are awesome um, co co uh, advocates for good beer. Um, but I think there, there 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 have been not necessarily here in the state, but there have been players that down lower forty eight that that they got in for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's not, not something you make a huge amount of money on. Yeah. yeah, and they don't last very long right. because they're in it for the wrong reasons. Right, and mm -hmm. so, but I would say the the consumer right now has an amazing, um, diverse opportunity to find the beverage that appeals to them, and uh, that's kind of an amazing uh, difference when you think about way back when. You know, the grocery stores in in the Midwest were finally getting oranges to North Dakota. Mm-hmm. Well, now I bet you go to any store in North Dakota, and not only do you have navel oranges, you've got six other different varieties, if not 12 other varieties. Apples. Look at the variety of apples. Yeah. The choices that we've got today are just amazing. And the um, same thing has happened in the yeah, beverage industry. Yeah. It's just exploded. But you know what's else interesting is there's uh, there's the food security focus now, where people are, are wanting to know more about where 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 did this come from that I'm consuming. Um I think that's going to be another another uh, uh, evolution of of what we're experiencing. I think before there was a lot of trust in in oh anything that's in a package is is, is safe to eat. Now people actually are reading the label. Is it? <laughs> I wonder if you two feel like you had any responsibility in paving the way for these new Alaska breweries. Hmm. Well, the new the new ones have done it all on their own. They're they've been amazing, great energy, great great uh, aspect. There was a lot of hurdles to to do. I think the only thing that we possibly helped with was when we started. We were we were starting with the history behind us was was that Prinzbrow Brewery that had gone under, and so the common thing we heard was, well, you know, this brewery. Prinsbrow had millions of dollars behind it, and it failed. So uh, that's why the banks wouldn't loan us money, and that's why, you know, a number of people just said, "No, this this doesn't work for us. We don't think it'll work." Um, and and I think that uh, because of our success, a, a number of breweries were able to use that as well. Look, you know, it can be done. Mm -hmm. it, somebody has done it up here. And they haven't gone under yet, so yeah. that's like they're doing great. So let's let's do this. So I think it it helped that uh, aspect because honestly, anybody who's brewing in Alaska is doing it twenty times harder than anybody yep. else down south. Hmm. So <laughs> we need all the help we can get up here. <laughs> I think there's been a, a, an amazing amount of graciousness uh, shown towards us for that, but I don't think really, <laughs> I don't think. It's any easier today yeah. than it was 37 years ago. Right. It's just different. So maybe there are things that we maybe may uh, paved the way for. Because frankly, <laughs> we had to get a bond. I mean, I, I mean, I, I could tell you stories about the, the the fact that starting a brewery in Alaska in 1984, <laughs> 85, 86. Um, that was that was we were breaking new 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 turf in mm -hmm. regards to the small entity. But yeah. I would say it's still every 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 business has has its has its uh, um, challenges, and uh, Alaska particularly so. Yep. So 
hats off. Yep. Manufacturing in Alaska is, we really, really do need to try to make it continue to work. Well, Marcy, Jeff, that's all the questions I have for you. You know, I want to let you both know that I, I really appreciate everything you do for Alaska and also how much thought you put into representing Alaska. Well, Cody, thank you for that. Uh, uh, it's it's not just us. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. it's uh, everybody that we come up against. We're all or we're with. We're our whole crew is behind trying to at least at Alaskan Brewing Company have that represented. And you know, even on our search dog team, when we go to down south seminars and stuff, we all we all feel like we're representing Alaska. So. I think it's a it's just a, a state pride thing, and uh, mm-hmm. just happy to be able to to try to do our part. There's so many so many great entities up here doing that as well. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I think we talked your ear off, Cody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your patience on that first. Uh, first day's worth of uh mis- miscues on our technology we're, we're not good on on the podcast stuff sorry about that well we figured it out this time didn't we we yep. did we did i think this worked great didn't lose yeah. you at all this was good <laughs> you can support this podcast at patreon.com slash crude magazine You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. Crude Conversations is written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for Crude Magazine. Music was produced by Alcoda Beats. 